Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Before we begin, we'd like to remind you that our ministry is supported 100% by listeners like you. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com slash donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website. Everybody, welcome to Revolution. Um, I'm Jay. As always, glad to see your faces and also glad for all you folks listening online. Um, thanks for listening. Um, one quick announcement. Um, we are not going to be meeting, well, we're not going to be having service on the 17th of December, but we are going to have a bowling alley. So that's going to be our unofficial Christmas party. <laughs> and the cool thing is, is they're having um, here in this room, they're having this artist and flea market. So you can come hang out, bowl with us on the 17th of December, which is the day before my 42nd birthday. And um, my last day of 41. And uh, you can come in here and maybe get a Christmas present for one of your friends. Or a birthday present for someone. <laughs> if you so well. <laughs> I feel so inclined. Um, I don't know know many people with Christmas birthdays. Um, I was on the road for the past two weeks in the South. Um, first thing was uh, nine days on the road doing the Loose in the Bible Belt tour, where I tour with uh, two comedians and a musician and myself, and we drive around the Bible Belt basically to preach tolerance and hope that People who are different can work together and share a vision in just that, just working together. My thing is I, I kind of got up and talked about the basics of love and Christianity and how that's supposed to be a basic element of the faith. And uh, so for a lot of people who haven't felt that, let them know, hey, we're sorry for that. Um, and it was cool. Um, we started in Tyler, Texas, and a, a group, a ministry group. We actually canceled that show, and then a ministry group found out that we canceled and said, we really want you here. Tyler, Texas needs something like this. And they rented the hall for us. So that was really cool. And uh, then took us out to dinner afterwards, and they were really great folks. Um, we had a great time. But, yeah, I went to Texas, Louisiana, Alabama, Tennessee, Florida, and Louisiana. So it was an adventure. I had a couple uh, hecklers, which was fun. The first heckler was just uh, an older gentleman who was an atheist, who just wasn't really heckling as much as just wanting to have a conversation with me and everybody else, but during the, me speaking, so that was a little bit awkward. Um, but then the other two were in Florida, <laughs> Pensacola, and they were definitely hecklers. They were drink, drunk, 
and having a time. And so it's weird to be heckled when you preach. Of course, that's happened to me before, believe it or not, at churches where I've had people get up and be like, I disagree, or that's not true, or, you know, that kind of thing. And you're like, mm, that's weird. Um, and I always think of good stuff to say afterwards, you know? So I'm like, oh, uh, 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 uh. and then afterwards I'm like, oh, I should have said this, and I should have said that. But we didn't. But we had a great time and uh, met some great people, and and I think some folks that were, uh, hearts were changed. Minds were changed on things, and that's something that you don't see a lot of quickly. Then also, I was uh, last weekend. I was at Open Door Community Church in Little Rock, Arkansas, uh, for their annual get together where they give out the Peggy Campolo Award, and which is an award for being an ally and uh, the LGBTQ community. And uh, they gave out two awards this year, and that was great. One of the awards went to my former co-pastor, Reverend Vince Anderson, who's an amazing musician. Google him if you get a chance, Vince Anderson. Reverend Vince Anderson would probably be the best way to find him. But he plays in this music called Dirty Gospel, and uh, he does a lot of great stuff. And he took over Revolution, which is now called Barstool Tabernacle in New York. So it's pretty cool to see that work go on. Um, I mentioned the Flea, Artists and Fleas, the 17th. We're not going to meet December... What is the 24th? We won't be here for Christmas Eve because I'm going to be with my family. Um, so when I was in Little Rock, Arkansas, I, uh, I heard a pastor named Stan Mitchell kind of, well, he would speak, but we were on a panel together. And uh, he kind of mentioned this idea behind the uh, story of the prodigal son. I really liked it, and I found it to be completely, really radically inclusive, so I wanted to kind of share it today. So I've done probably the the prodigal son since I've been here again, the second time, but um, we're going to go through it again. And it's just a small twist on the story, but I think it's a good one, and uh, we'll talk about it a little bit. But it starts, the story actually starts in, it's Jesus. The interesting thing is I love books in the Bible where they're, where rebuking is happening, but it's happening in a way that's not conventional, <laughs> you know. Um, my favorite book in the Bible is Galatians. And that whole book is a rebuke. and um, But it's also probably what taught me most about grace and love and mercy than any book in the Bible. I mean, Jesus taught me a lot about love and mercy, but Paul really puts... Jesus gives you the skeleton, and Paul puts on the, you know, the muscle and nerves and bones of it. And uh, also Paul says some crazy stuff. Okay, I know that. I'll go ahead and just go on the wild there and say sometimes he's a little bit kooky. Um, but this is this is one of also 
classic story of the lost, uh, starts with the story of the lost sheep. But it starts with Jesus is once again tax collectors and are, is eating with tax collectors and other notorious sinners, as this version says, is the new living. So it starts off with tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such despicable people, even eating with them. This was, Jesus would have been seen as a sinner in the eyes of the Pharisees because he was unclean, because he was going into the home of unclean people. He was spending time with unclean people. You know, and the Pharisees had an idea of who you're supposed to be, who's clean, who's unclean, who you can spend time with, who you can't spend time with. And uh, Jesus seemed to ignore all those things. Um, There's other times where Jesus gets in trouble for eating with sinners. But this one he says, so Jesus uses this illustration. And I love it because he always takes time to... face his critics somehow or tell a story. So they must be like, this has got to be an open area where they're eating. You know, it must be, I mean, I just find it interesting that the Pharisees are always peeking in, keeping an eye on Jesus, seeing what he's up to. And um, enough for Jesus to give stories. And he gives the first story is, I suppose a woman has 10 valuable silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and look in every corner of the house and sweep every nook and cranny until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call her friends and neighbors to rejoice with her because she has found her lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Now, repent means turn from sin or change your mind. It's not a scary word. It sounds scary, and often people use it as a, as a club. But uh, I like to always say it's not a four-letter word. Um, <laughs> To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them a story of a man who had... Oh, wait. I'm skipping one. Or suppose a woman... Oh, I skipped a whole one. Let's go back. Jesus uses this illustration. If you had 100 sheep and one of them strayed away and was lost in the wilderness, wouldn't you leave the 99 others and go search for them, lost one until you found it? And then you would joyfully carry it home on your shoulders... When you arrived, you would call together your friends and neighbors to rejoice with you because your lost sheep was found. In the same way, heaven rejoice. In the same way, heaven will be happier over one lost sinner who returns to God than over ninety-nine others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. So, at this point, Jesus is giving this clear story of, "I'll leave the ninety-nine to find the one." You know, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to be reluctant in seeking out like if i was i can't imagine what it must be like to take care of sheep and uh but if i had 99 if i had 100 of them and one walked away i don't know if i would leave 99 of them because i would be like well then i'm gonna lose 99 more sheep (laughs) but this is a constant not giving up this constant will of saying i will seek out what is mine i will seek out what is lost and I find that really interesting is this constant need. But the, this, the, the third story in here, which is known as the prodigal son, and really should be the story of two sons, but um, it's a little bit different. 
in its in its way of 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 of, of things. And let's look at that one. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them a story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of my estate now instead of waiting until you die. So his father agreed to divide up the wealth between the two sons. Now, this would have been probably something almost punishable by death if you told your father, I wish you were dead. I want all my stuff in 2,000 years Middle Eastern time. It would have been kind of considered an incredible insult. So at this point, you're seeing a very loving, open father who is uh, already willing to go against what most people would do. I've been told that usually when you brought that kind of shame on your family, you would be brought and publicly flogged. So that's what I learned from my studies. A few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and took a trip to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money on wild living. About this time, his money ran out, and a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and to feed his pigs. The boy became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Um, Just a side note, I mean, for... For a Jew, this would have been extremely, and again, unclean to be with pigs and to be feeding pigs and then to be eating the food that the pigs eat, you know, would have been extremely embarrassing and shameful. It says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself at home, even the hired men have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. Perishing is the one of one of the words it uses. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired hand. I've always found it interesting how the son is preparing his speech and getting ready to like this is how I'm gonna repent, this is what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna go and beg for forgiveness and see if I can get hired on as a hired hand. Um one of the things I wrote in my notes here years ago, because this is an older Bible of mine, I wrote, don't try to make deals <laughs> with God. You don't have to. Just go home. Um, so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long distance away, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But, and I love that, but here, is because it says, but his father said to his servants. So the son didn't even get a, a moment to get out his repentive line, his planned speech. The father just says, turns quickly to the servant as though, you know, you see that he's he's been almost standing there every day waiting for his son's return, watching for his son's return. His son, son comes home, has this planned thing. You know, and this would have been another thing, is the father would have maybe hired him on as a servant at most. You know, this was... So at this point, I think you've got Pharisees and teachers of religious law who are see, hearing this in that way, of that this isn't normal. This is strange. You know, this son has already brought shame on the family, and now he's returning and bringing more shame. And what's, what's happening here? And the father says, Quick, 
Bring the finest robe in the house, then put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we have been fattening in the pen. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. You know, he threw a party for his son who said, I wish you were dead. And a son who made bad choices and bad decisions. (laughs) You know, Um, this reminds me more of AA than it does for the church. You know, kind of the welcoming spirit back. But I feel like this story has always brought hope for me and hope to the church that they can restore. We should. This is how we should react when people leave and come back or anything. You know, this is. We should throw parties. We should celebrate. We should be like helpful. You know, it shouldn't be scolding or oh, you know, see you come back or whatever. You know, or when people have fallen and people have made mistakes, whatever it is, whatever the situation is, it should always be we want to restore people and welcome them back with open arms and be the people who go, oh, hold on a second, before you say anything, we've got to get the party committee together because you're back. You know, That's something that would revolutionize the church. That's something that would revolutionize people's lives. That would make me want to go back to church. I go to church because I come here on Sundays and talk to you guys. Um, I don't go to a normal church. I don't go to a, I mean, I don't go to a church besides the church. Um, and a lot of it is because I, uh, in my life, I've felt rejection. I felt not a lot of hope in there. Now, there are a lot of churches with hope. I mean, if it wasn't for the church in Tyler, Texas, there would have been no loose in the Bible belt in Tyler, Texas. And they were very open to the difference. Oh, we tried to wait. We tried to wait for you guys, but we're glad you're here. There would have been a lot of hope for that. Anyway, let's get on to what it talks about here. So the, 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 we must celebrate a feast, for the son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told. Your father has killed the calf we were fattening and has prepared a great feast. We are celebrating because of his safe return. So what is the brother going to, how's the brother going to feel about this? Well, it tells us right away, the older brother was angry and would not go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've worked hard for you and never once refused to do a single thing you've told me. And all that time you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when the son of you comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the finest calf we have. Um, now, this I've always seen this part is, is shows how we often get angry about grace when the wrong person receives grace. Because we have people... Grace is always for the other. It's always, it's like free speech. You know, it's usually to protect the things that we don't want to hear. You know, and grace is that way. Um, grace is often the la- what brings, makes the Bible seem ridiculous or makes Jesus' love or gra- seem ridiculous. Um, 
I think a good example is, is anybody familiar with the movie Star Wars? <laughs> yeah, you've heard of it? Um, well, at the end of the film's trilogy, the first or the middle, whatever you see it, Darth Vader um, has a change of heart and saves his son and then dies. And he becomes a space ghost, but he becomes a space ghost with the good guys. Now, Darth Vader has blown up planets, <laughs> killed young children when he you know, became Darth Vader. He did all this, and then all of a sudden he has one moment of change of mind where he sees good, he feels good, and he changes, and he's included in, in, in the good part of the Force the light side. You know, that's unfair. It seems completely unfair. It's like this guy was like space Hitler, you know, and yet he has this moment of, well, that's often how people see grace as like, this is ridiculous. This makes no sense. You know, it'd be fine if it was a little movie to tie a bow on the end, you know, but in reality, this doesn't make sense. And so the son is angry, and you know what? Maybe rightfully so uh, to, to, to human nature, but that's not what's happening here. So his father said to him, Look, dear son, you are very close, and everything I have is yours, which is literal because the, son's, the other son spent his inheritance. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead. He's come back to life. He was lost and now is found. And... Um, I'm sure he was worried about if it was coming out of his inheritance. Now, that's where the story ends. But the um, the, 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 the the story that I heard from Stan Mitchell, who pastors Grace Point Church in Nashville, I found really interesting. And he said, the older brother we have to go back to the beginning of the story. <clears throat> Excuse me. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such despicable people, even eating with them. Now let's look at the, the two here. The Pharisees are angry because he's eating with these people. The older brother is angry he wouldn't go in because he didn't want to be participate in this party where he was eating with people, the feast with his friends. Um, the tax collectors are angry because they see notorious sinners and, pro, you know, notorious sinners, tax collectors. They don't like that. The son uses the, uses the word of saying squandering your money on prostitutes and brings out this angry thing. So what I've never been able to make sense of these three stories is is the two stories is is this constant chasing after the lost coin, chasing after the lost sheep. And then the third story is, well, then the one guy comes to his senses and returns. So I was like, yeah, okay, well, there's really none of that. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? None of that following, none of that... Uh, What's searching out, you know, there's none of that longing to find something lost. And then it hit me when I heard this pastor telling, 
is, yes, there is. It's the older brother. The father goes out to find the older brother. He comes outside of the party longing for him to be there. Now, this is where inclusion comes in the story because to me, the ones who've been excluded by this story have always been the Pharisees, have been the teachers of religious law. But now what is Jesus saying is, is, no, I'm longing for you to come into the party. I'm begging you. You see, they were lost and now they're found. Come in. Even when Jesus says that prostitutes and tax collectors and all these will get into the kingdom of heaven before you, he doesn't tell them that you won't get into the kingdom of heaven. He just says these people will be in the kingdom of heaven before you because you don't realize love and mercy and these things. But he doesn't say no. And look at that inclusion. The inclusion is his father came out and begged him. Begged him to come in. And that is that, that's the small twist there, which I find completely compelling and completely amazing, is that that is that seeking out. The father was seeking out the older brother. And I don't know why I never noticed that. You know, it's a small thing. But it is hopeful to say that even, even Jesus is even longing after his enemies. He is actually loving his enemies as himself, and as others, which is something you often don't, you know, you hear Jesus, love your enemies, do good to those who persecute you, but it's something we don't see nowadays. I don't see that on Twitter. I don't see people reaching out and saying, I love you, enemy. Donald Trump, I'm praying for you. I'm sure there are people doing that, but you don't see a whole lot of that, and I don't see a whole lot of that from leaders of loving enemies and pursuing them. But Jesus even did that. Jesus was saying, I'm pursuing you. Just as the, as a shepherd pursued the one sheep, just as the woman searched for the lost coin, so I am coming out of the party here to seek you. And wouldn't it have been interesting if this was the case, is that for Jesus, in order to talk to these Pharisees, he had to come out from the dinner and from the meal in order to talk to them. Now, I did just, I just thought of that, so that's, I am claim that, TM. Um, that's good news. Simple, beautiful, pure, good news. Um, do I want necessarily the people who I consider Pharisees in my life to be included. You know, I struggle with it, but I do. Because I feel like if I'm able to be included, so should they. You know, if uh, all fall short, Romans says. In Romans, all fall short, all, uh, you know, of the standard. All sin. But yet God in his gracious to kindness declares us not guilty. And this just further goes into the inclusion of being inclusive. If you're truly inclusive, everyone is, gets grace. Everyone gets in. Even the bad guy. Even Darth Vader. Even the Pharisees. They get in too. Jesus seeks them out too.
And so by looking at this story, you can look at other moments where Jesus rebukes the Pharisees and says things to them and see that there wasn't just, I want right and you're wrong, but I want you to see mercy. I really want you to see mercy. I really want you to see love. I'm trying to tell you that your whitewashed tombs, you know, beautiful on the outside and dead on the inside for a reason. Because this is how I have to pursue you because we're not sitting down for dinner. And you don't like the things I say when we do sit down for dinner, you know, because they would often try to trap Jesus and things and say, so tell us this, Jesus. But Jesus was like, you can try to trick me. You can try to trap me. You can try to do all this. But I want you to come in. I want you to celebrate with me. I mean, even to say, you know, you didn't refuse to do a single thing I told you to. I mean, to say that these are guys, men who are followers of the law. And up until this point, it's all they knew about God was the law. You know, and they were following it. To, to, they re, the reason they weren't going into the house of the Pharisees, the Pharisees weren't going in the house of the tax collectors and the notorious sinners is because they were trying to follow the law to what they understood to be religion. You know, they were actually a more liberal sect of, of, of religious leaders at the time, the Pharisees were. So, yeah, that's good news. I like inclusion. And so I, I think of this as the prodigal Pharisee. And the Pharisee is included in there. I used to say that, you know, it's a sad thing that you never know at the end if the older brother comes in or not. Um, but hearing how Reverend Mitchell put it, I feel more hope. I feel better about my faith. And... Uh, and I wanted to share that with you guys as soon as I got back because it just really, really something left inside my heart when, I, when, I, when, when we discussed that. So, yeah. Thanks for uh, coming out. Real quick, we, uh, we, we're a nonprofit and we depend on donations, but we'd rather have you than your money. So... Take that into account. Um, you don't like basically like you don't have to give because I'm asking, and you know that. But I got a lot of baggage when it comes to raising money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, another reason the holidays are weird. <laughs> Just gonna say it. Just put it out there. You know, I even had somebody recently Facebook me and be like, "How could I support you or trust you if you're?" member of that family. You know, like, Ugh, you don't have to. <laughs> like, don't. You don't, you know, like, I'm not twisting your arm here. Um, I guess I'll pass the hat. Um, now you're an usher. You're a regular and an usher. Look at that. Um... So, yeah, thanks for everybody for listening. And just a, one more reminder before we uh, stop the recording. Um, if you're in town December 17th, that's going to be the Revolution Christmas gathering. What we're going to do is we're not going to meet for service because there's the artist and fleas are in here. So we're going to stay away from the fleas and bowl. 
We're going to get a bowling alley and a lane, probably two lanes, and bowl and uh, hang out for a little bit. And then you can come in here on that day and support the artist and fleas as well. So, yeah, pick up a... But yeah, December 17th. And then we won't be here December 24th on Christmas Eve because I'm going to be out of town and I didn't feel like asking anybody else to come in on Christmas Eve. So there you go. Thanks for listening.